Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 57. It's titled, Live Like a Local When Traveling. By the time I release this episode, I might have changed the title. So if what I just said is a title, it doesn't match what the episode header said, that's because I changed it. I usually record episodes the day before I release them, and I do that because I just like the flexibility of changing my mind, and I want it to be current to when at least I'm releasing it, even though most of the content is evergreen. In this time, I've recorded it about a month before. For the next three episodes, episodes 57, 58, and 59, I will be traveling with my family in Norway, so I've pre-recorded some episodes, and this one really is on travel, and it occurs to me, I used to tra- I've traveled a lot. I traveled for business, so I have close to 2 million flight miles, mostly on Delta. I've spent many, many, many nights in hotel rooms over the years, and I had experience. I've mentioned back, I think it was episode 26, that we owned a timeshare, and I won't go into the economics of timeshare again. I, I did that during that episode and how that works. But as part of that, when we were staying the past couple times in, I think, once in Park City and once in Arizona, we went through a sales presentation. The way Marriott likes to do it is they like to give sales presentations to existing owners. And the incentive for doing that is they usually give some type of welcoming gift. I think it was a gift card, a $100 gift card. And and sometimes... (laughs) I just like to go sit through the sales presentation to see if anything has changed with Marriott. Perhaps there's some new locations, and it's nice to get $100 to go out to dinner. I don't think I'll do it anymore because this past time, literally, it took two hours, and it just was not the pleasant experience that I would like. It just felt a little too high pressure, and not even high pressure. It was almost... I just don't like to disappoint the person because we end up not buying. And it just, it just felt, it felt uncomfortable. So I don't think I'll do that anymore. But in these, both of these presentations, I mentioned that we stay when we travel overseas at using, we rent private homes through airbnb.com. So that's A-I-R-B-N-B.com. And we've done that for a number of years now. And when we go on this trip, to Norway, we don't, we're not staying at any hotels, literally every single night. So 20 nights booked at Airbnb places in private homes and apartments throughout Norway and Sweden. And what surprised me about these sales presentations is both of these sales reps had never heard of it, had never heard of Airbnb, and which absolutely dumbfounded me because... This is their primary competition, in my mind. This is the primary competition of timeshares. They're the primary competition of hotels. And the fact that they had never heard of it made me think, well, maybe there was just a luck of the draw and these two sales reps just have their head in the sand. Or maybe how we travel is a little different than how most people travel when they book Trip. So I thought it would be interesting to do an episode on really travel hacks, things I've learned traveling that maybe most people 
don't know. And and if it turns out you you've already heard of this, then then these two salespeople had their head in the sand, and they were the exception, not the rule. And I'm just going to sort of describe how, really starting from airfare to transportation, and then take a deep dive into Airbnb and how you can use that and, and really the advantages. So this trip to Norway, I had no real desire to go to Norway because I didn't know much about Norway at all. But we as a family wanted to take a trip this spring. We typically like to travel in shoulder season. So the best time in my mind to travel overseas is in May or September if it can be worked out. And so with oil prices dropping 50%, we were expecting at some point airfares to drop. And we really wanted to go back to Japan or to some other part of Europe. My daughter wanted to go to Scotland and we kept looking for airfares, the site that I use to track airfares, I use a couple. I use airfarewatchdog.com, and I use a site called ITA Software, I-T-A-S-O-F-T-W-A-R-E.com. They were bought by Google several years ago. So I think Google Flight incorporates the really the, the matrix or the, or the software platform that the algorithm is what I'm trying to say that IDA software developed, but I still use IDA software. Both of those links will be in the show notes. And just the key to traveling overseas is to get the cheapest airfare you can find. And one way, there's a couple ways to do that. IDA's airfare watchdog is always showing the top 50 fares. And I just scanned that. And ultimately what happened is I saw a flight from LA to Stockholm for $500. And so I started exploring it and I saw which airline it was. So then I started exploring. Well, it was Norwegian Air. So I thought, all right, Norwegian Air, cheap flight to Stockholm. What other flights to Oslo? Because the flights from LA to Oslo are probably even cheaper. And that turned out to be the case. What I have found in booking overseas travel is the most expensive part of the lay of the trip will obviously be the the international flight. So be it out of LA, out of Seattle, New York, Atlanta. So often I live in Idaho, and, and as a result, most of the time the cheapest flights are not out of Idaho, and so it's often been easier and cheaper to to look for flights out of any port city. So when my son when it was going to Japan to live last summer. I, I'm sort of our family's travel agent, so I was looking for flights. And in that case, I used Ita Software to do that. And with Ita Software, you can, put, you can put your destination you want to go, but you can put in all different cities. And so it'll search five or six cities at once. And that's what I did. So I will, I'll search cities a 1,000 miles from, from, from Idaho. So I'll, I'll search 10 cities and in his case, trying to get to Japan and find out what was cheapest. And it turned out the cheapest I could find was a flight from Seattle to Tokyo, and then the return was from Seoul back to Seoul, Korea, back to Seattle. And it was like an $800 ticket, which still seemed kind of pricey to me, but compared to the $1,200 tickets I was seeing. So that's what we did. It, that's one way to do it. You look at the port city, and that's what we did for this Norwegian air flight. We're flying out of LA. And then later, once I got that flight 
I'll find some way to get to LA. In this case, we were able to find some cheap flights on Delta from Salt Lake to LAX. And so that's that's sort of how we found the flight. We did pause a little bit when I saw the the price and then started booking the ticket to realize that Norwegian Air sort of holds himself out, at least I believe, as, as more of a discount airline. So I was not quite sure what the experience would be, particularly when they wanted me to prepay $40 for a meal. You had to pay to select your seat. But I looked at the plane that, that they're flying in, and it's, a, it's an Airbus a plane. It was a bigger, it was a newer plane. So it's not as if the planes are old. So that's, that was the airfare that we booked. One little hack when flying overseas, what I do is, so we, we, stay, we stake out our seats and I'm, I try to sit by a window. If there's a family of us, we try to kind of sit together. But then I'm always monitoring the seat chart online. And what I'm looking for are rows in the back that are unoccupied. So typically the international flight, they might have two seats and they'll, they'll have a row. If it's a larger plane, could have a, a row of six and a row of three or, or four and three. But oftentimes on these international flights, as you get toward the back, they haven't sold all their seats and there'll be these middle sections that no one is sitting at. And I'll, I'll look for that and if there's going to be any empty. And I'll remember which ones they are. And right as after the door of the airplane plane closes, one of us will get up and go to that empty row. Because once you're on the empty row, you sort of are then can control it to be able to sleep there. If it's, a, if it's a nighttime flight, and most international flights end up being at night. And the key to traveling, if, at least if you're from the U.S., if you're traveling to Europe or to Asia, is to get sleep on the way there on the plane. And so if you can, if you can get control of one of the back middle rows, and, and they don't care if you get up and move at that point. At least the U.S.-based airlines don't care. Maybe some of the other, I don't know about Norwegian Air, we'll, we'll check it out. And then if they yell and tell us we should get back to our seats, then we'll do that. Then the next point then is, what about transportation? Once you're there. And with transportation, the, the key is to decide, are you going to rent a car or use public transportation? When we traveled to Europe, I thought we would buy one of these unlimited train passes. And it turned out to actually be cheaper to lease a car. We were going to be there for two months. We leased a brand new car through Renault, I think it was Eurodrive, so it was a Renault car. And it was it ended up being might have been twenty, eighteen, twenty dollars a day for the two months, but it wasn't a rental car. So this this was actually a car lease where you take ownership of the car and there's a quirk in the tax code in some European countries, particularly in France, where the value added tax is lower or there's some different rate if you're a European and you buy a nearly new car. And so Peugeot and Renault have these programs where they lease to non-European Union residents a brand new car. They'll drive it for a weeks to a month, and then they'll resell it. And so it's a very, very competitive rate. So it ended up being about half the cost of what it would have been to buy these unlimited train passes to, 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 to use a train to fly all over Europe. 
or to, to take train all over Europe. I I actually I like to travel on a train, but I often really appreciate the flexibility of a car. And in the case of Norway, we ended up renting a car because I priced train passes, train tickets, and and it's just that's a country a car makes sense. Surprisingly, and this really surprised me, at least in Europe, when I've driven in most of the major cities, it has not been difficult at all. And, and oftentimes, it's pretty convenient for parking. I, I would have, I'm shocked at how economical parking can be and, and how little traffic there was. We, I have parked downtown in Amsterdam. I have parked downtown in Copenhagen. I've parked in Rome, downtown, or not well, not Rome, but Florence downtown. And and what's interesting is the public transportation is so great in some of these these towns. Oftentimes, if you drive in, you can go under the radar. Now, that's not necessarily always going to be the case. And the only reason we drove downtown was really flukes. One, either the, the train station. I remember in Copenhagen, we were going to take the train downtown. We walked from the, our house rental. We walked to the train station. We're all set. And at the time, our ATM card did not have a chip in it. Now, most U.S. ATM cards, I believe, now have chips in it, which is a good thing. It makes traveling in Europe a lot easier. But in this case, it didn't have it. This was just a couple years ago. And it wouldn't take our, our credit card. And there wasn't, and it wouldn't take currency. It would only take coins. And when you had five of us trying to come, to come up with enough coins to put into the public transportation to buy a ticket, and I went and tried to find a change booth, went to the store, they wouldn't give me change, and we finally gave up. We could not buy a train ticket because we didn't have enough coins to buy it. So we drove downtown to Copenhagen and, and parked the car, and it worked out perfectly fine. Did the same thing in Amsterdam. When you rent a car, when you, when you travel with four or five people, it's important to make sure you're going to fit. So with this Eurocar through Renault that we rented, I watched, I knew which car it was. So I watched YouTube review videos so I could see would we be able to fit ourselves and that luggage. A couple other things on public transportation then. If it turns out to be cheaper, some countries have train passes that you can buy before you go to the country and it's cheaper. An, an example of this is Japan Railways. In Japan, you can buy these special passes, but you have to buy them before you get to the country. So you're always looking for, is the train going to be cheaper? Is a car going to be cheaper? If you rent a car, make sure you know whether an international driver's license is required. In Norway, it's required. So I, I've never got one before. I learned this Lesson the hard way in Korea. We were going to rent a car in Korea. I had a reservation, and it turns out you needed an international driver's license to rent a car in Korea. So we couldn't rent a car. We ended up using train and buses the whole time. Buses, when you travel in a city, I find intimidating because Every city seems to do their buses different. So that's when I'm scanning the internet, figuring out how the bus systems work. And, and, and maybe it's a problem I have with authority 
with with bus drivers. That, to me, they were just they were like policemen growing up, and so I, I don't like I don't like to make mistakes when I get on a bus, and I just I just well, I don't like to make a mistake anytime, but particularly on a bus. And so I find buses intimidating, but sometimes the bus is the best option. So I'll scan the internet and I'll fumble my way through. An example, Kyoto in Kyoto, Japan, you get in the bus in the back door. I mean, that's one of the things with the buses. Sometimes you get, you pay when you get on. Sometimes you pay when you get off. Sometimes you get in the back door. Sometimes you get in the front door. Sometimes you have to have coins. Sometimes you have to have a special pass card. It can be very intricate. And so buses, I just find I find subways and trains much more standard from one place to the next. Cars are about the same, but buses can can sometimes trip you up. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tecovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at NetSuite dot com slash david that's netsuite.com slash david netsuite.com slash david one item on transportation regarding airfare i forgot to mention is so back in 2013 we took a trip in asia and europe and i thought well once i got to asia it would probably just be cheaper to fly to europe so i started looking into these World airfare passes where you can can basically, for one fee, travel the world or have a, some combination of countries. And I found it just was not cheaper. It was four to $5,000 per ticket, at least at that time. And I just couldn't figure out a way to make it work. It actually was less expensive on that trip to fly from L.A. to Japan, to Tokyo, Japan, to, then we went. Then we went to Korea, and then we flew back from Seoul through Tokyo back to LA. That was about an eight hundred dollar ticket, and then book another seven hundred to eight hundred dollar ticket from LA. We flew into Rome, where we picked up our leased vehicle, and we flew out of. And then we dropped that off at London at the end of the trip, end of the couple months, and flew back to LA. So, and that was. That was way cheaper than sort of these all-inclusive international maybe passes. So maybe you can find a way to make that work. I'm always looking for air fares, and oftentimes those are the cheapest. Let's talk about Airbnb, which was really the main gist of this episode, even though I'm, I'm 18 minutes in. So Airbnb.com, it, it's a website 
And what I like about it is they act as a trusted middleman or middle person in the sense that when you book to stay at somebody's house, they take your money, you pay up front, but they don't release that money until after you are there and everything appears to be okay. When I've rented our farm through Airbnb, same thing. After the guest arrived and everything seemed fine, it even seemed like it might have been the the day after, then they released the funds to me. Airbnb are just is a way to really travel like a local. So we have rented homes in Japan, we've rented in Korea, Italy, Florence, Venice. Where else have we gone? <laughs> we've rented in Germany, Copenhagen, Amsterdam. And what's fascinating about Airbnb is this, well, one, it's just cheaper. Way cheaper. And just an example on this Norwegian trip. I thought that with the last night of our trip, we were going to fly out of the Oslo airport. One night, I'll just book a hotel. And, and this, there's four of us on this particular trip. And I knew we might need two rooms, depending on how the hotel was set up. But the average night at a hotel was $300 for just one room. And we would probably need two. And I looked. This is at the airport. And this did not seem unusual. And... So then I said, well, what, where can we book? Is there any place within an hour and a half drive of the airport that we could book? And there was a Swedish farmhouse that we rented, two-bedroom home, full kitchen, beautiful Swedish traditional home on a farm, and we were able to book it for $150. So we figured the average hotel cost in Norway is $300 a night. My, our average cost throughout Norway and Sweden per night using Airbnb is $140. So when you book through Airbnb, there's usually the room cost. There's an Airbnb service fee. Sometimes there's a cleaning cost. Depends. Sometimes the, the, the host will charge more depending on how many people. But when, when I book through Airbnb, you, you essentially, the areas where there's a lot of competition, so bigger cities, I might book a month before, or even even a couple weeks before. On this, this trip to Europe, there were times, because we were t- sort of planning out our trip as we went, so we didn't have the entire thing planned out, I booked several times just a few days before. But if you're in a more remote location where you want to stay, oftentimes I'll book a couple months ahead. I've already booked, so I'm recording this about a month before I released the episode, for this three-week trip, I've already booked everything because in Norway and Sweden, there weren't quite so many, and maybe I'm just getting a little more picky. What you find with Airbnb is, so they, well, one, you got to really rely on the reviews. So I would never, I would be hesitant to stay any place where there hasn't been reviews from prior guests. So I like to look at reviews. Sometimes I might do it if it's in a country that has a high, very high trust factor, Japan, Korea, I wouldn't hesitate doing it. Other cities, perhaps not. But generally, it's best to look at where there's been reviews because the thing with Airbnbs is some of these places do have warts. These are not Americanized hotels. These are local homes, and the guests are often very welcoming. Often, they'll leave you a welcome gift. We've been left chocolate cake, full breakfasts, all kinds of stuff. But 
any home, I know our homes have have quirks. Most people's homes have quirks, so their beds might not be as comfortable as you like. The room heater might be noisy. There might not be enough towels. The, the knives in the kitchen might be dull. So they have quirks. But you get to experience people's homes because oftentimes, particularly in Europe, these are not second homes. These are the host family's primary residence, and you can rent their entire home or you can rent a room. We always rent an entire home, but then they'll go stay at a family of friends because many many of the hosts, this is the way that they make money so they can travel. And we have found that most hosts are, are they're travelers. They like to travel. They like to interact with guests. Now, sometimes you do interact with the host. Sometimes we've stayed in places. They told us where the key was, and we never met them at all. And so there's a real trust factor and a real level of trust when it comes to Airbnb. And so we like that. We like how economical it is. We like the fact that you can find what it's like to live like a local. We have stayed in a traditional Japanese home with thin walls, and, and you learn things. We learned that in Japan, they don't typically heat the bathroom. It is very, very cold in there, which is why Japan has perfected the art of heated toilet seats and other heated other mechanisms on the toilets. They're, they're, pretty, they're pretty fancy. We've stayed outside Venice, so not in Venice, but outside Venice for $80 a night. We've stayed in a essentially a vineyard in Tuscany for about $100 a night. We've stayed at traditional French courtyard-type farms where they didn't speak a lick of English, and it worked out great. And on this trip to Norway, we're staying in traditional Norwegian homes and cottages, traditional Swedish farms, and, and I am a great advocate of Airbnb. One potential risk with Airbnb is the hosts do have the right to cancel, and they could cancel really up to a couple days before your reservation. I've not had that happen very often. I had it happen once. So we've stayed with Airbnb almost 25 times now, and so only on only one occasion has the host canceled a week before. We were left scrambling. It was inconvenience. Airbnb actually gave us a $50 coupon, or basically we could rent something more expensive. So they gave us $50 credit is what they gave us. So we were able to find a place. So that can be an unfortunate situation. And sometimes they're just things you didn't anticipate. When we ended up renting a home in Venice, California, at Venice Beach, it was a, the, the host was, was very, very pleasant. But upstairs, the resident upstairs got into a big fight with his girlfriend at two in the morning. They were drunk and that was unpleasant. So that, but you can have that happen at hotels. Unfortunately, with a hotel, with a hotel, you can call the front desk and they can settle things down. You don't necessarily get to do that when you're renting someone's home. So there's not, it's not perfect, but in my mind, being able to live like a local and the economics of it makes a lot of sense for me. And I, and I that's what we do. So that is episode 57. If you would like to follow our journey through Norway and Sweden, you can follow me on Instagram. J.D. Stein is my Instagram name. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. I'll also have that link to the Instagram account there. 
on moneyfortherestofus.net. That's where you can sign up for my insider's guide, and I'll email those show notes to you weekly, and that's also where I answer listener questions and providing other valuable content. If you would like to explore the economic and investment topics that we discuss on Money for the Rest of Us in more detail, please consider becoming a member of my premium website, the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. You can find information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. That's where we're diving deep into these various topics through video courses, through audio lessons, through the Money for the Rest of Us Plus, which is a plus episode to this episode a little more laid back, a little more casual. That's also I do a monthly investment conditions report where I guide members in terms of not only showing what I'm doing with my own investment portfolio, but providing some objective information as to where we are in terms of the current market cycle and whether a cyclical bear market seems imminent or not so that members and myself can adjust our risk exposure in terms of our level of stock exposure based on market conditions. So money for the rest of us hub.com. Everything I've shared with this episode has been general education. I've not provided investment advice because I haven't discussed investing at all. So I probably don't even need to do the disclosure because we talked about travel hacks. So have a great week. Thanks. <laughs>